We're going to be in Luke chapter 4 today. Luke chapter 4, if you have your copy of God's Word. Uh, And as you make your way to Luke chapter 4, I want to run a few names by you to see if you know any of these names. Some of my students in the front row here probably will. Button Gwinnett, right? Y'all know him. Lyman Hall, George Walton, Francis Lightfoot Lee, Carter Braxton. Anybody? Anybody know them? All right, this is some names you may, I think you guys will know these, all right? Benjamin Franklin, Samuel Adams, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and then the biggest name of them all, John Hancock, right? John Hancock. These are all signers of the Declaration of Independence. It was instituted on July 4th, 1776, the day that gave birth to what I believe is the greatest nation. So thankful and proud to be a part of America. And on that day, 56 men, including these 10, signed the Declaration of Independence. It was built on this incredible ideal, which reads, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, notice that, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These men signed a declaration that rightly proclaimed that as created beings, we were given a God-given need for life, for liberty, and for happiness. And it's an incredible concept that is true, we'll see in God's word, an incredible concept on which to found a nation. And it's this ideal that gave birth to the greatest in history. See, our country is a place where for generations people have flocked. They have flocked here at their own great personal cost and great personal danger. Why do they come to America? Because the land of the free, the home of the brave, it's freedom that draws them here and all of the wonderful blessings attached to freedom. So this morning, I want us to recognize how valuable freedom is. Freedom is so valuable because we were created for freedom. And freedom is worth dying for. I'm thankful that we can celebrate this weekend, this day of independence tomorrow, because many have sacrificed with the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that, if we're honest, we oftentimes take for granted. I'm thankful. And I want us to to be reminded of how much we have received by God's gracious favor. And on July 4th, 1776, these 56 men that attached their name to the Declaration of Independence knew that by putting their name on that document would be like putting a target on their backs. They knew that by signing that document that if they were captured by the British, that they would be killed. But as Patrick Henry had said a year earlier, these men's refrain, the refrain was, give me liberty or give me death. And of these 56 men, five were tortured at the hands of the British. Twelve had their homes burned to the ground. Nine died in the Revolutionary War effort. You see, freedom is valuable. Freedom is worth dying for. And I'm I'm prayerful that we're all very thankful for freedom in this place today. But you see, at the end of the day, freedom in our country has never been perfect. Like, look around. We have fallen short, all of us individually and us as a nation. We're we're fallible people. We make mistakes. We fall short of the ideals of liberty on which our country was founded. And the truth is that perfect freedom cannot be found on earth, even in the greatest nation. Four score and seven years after the declaration, Lincoln stood at Gettysburg and reminded us that we had a large portion of our population that didn't have freedom. And that's what we were fighting for. A hundred years after that, MLK reminded us that there was still a great disparity in our nation. Friends, at the end of the day, may we be reminded that freedom ultimately doesn't belong to a nation. 
Freedom is a God-given need that only God can perfectly fulfill. So we celebrate in a free country, but we have a, a greater freedom that is a perfect freedom that comes from the one who created us and designed us for freedom. That is why it is so very valuable. And 1,750 years before the Declaration of Independence went forth, Jesus made a declaration that will stand the test of time, amen? And when our attempts at freedom fail because we are fallible people, Jesus will never fail. So look with me at Jesus' declaration in Luke chapter four, beginning in verse 14. The scripture says, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. Where is he returning from? Well, he had been baptized in the river Jordan by John. He had gone into the wilderness for 40 days of temptation. And then he had come out and begun to speak the word of God in Capernaum to work miracles pointing to the fact that he was the Messiah, doing the things that the Messiah was prophesied to do. And so now he is going through Galilee, spreading the good news in all of the surrounding country. Verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues and he was glorified by all. And then he came to Nazareth. We know Nazareth. It's the place where he was raised and brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled that scroll, which is what you do with the scroll, and he found the place where it is written what we would identify as Isaiah 61, and he read this messianic prophecy of Isaiah on that day in his hometown, in the synagogue, which was his custom. He is now, as, as, as a traveling rabbi, has been given an opportunity by the leader of the synagogue to step up and to share the word and to, and, and to speak a message, and he reads Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom, liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. People's ears are perked up. He stopped right there in the midst of Isaiah's prophecy of Isaiah 61, and he rolls the scroll up, and he gives it back to the attendant, and then he sits down, which is the position the rabbi would take when, when he is going to expound upon the scriptures. And all of the eyes of the synagogue, Scripture tells us, were fixed on him. Like not even a person blinking, like it was his expectation, like he's reading these messianic words. We've heard some things. We're about to hear something pretty important. And then he began to, to teach them, to say to them, today this very Scripture is being fulfilled and has been fulfilled in your hearing as they heard the first part of this message, they all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. And they said, but isn't this Joseph's son? <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, perceiving what was in their hearts, what was maybe being begin to be murmured around the synagogue, he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard that you did at Capernaum, now do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, and this is when the room began to shift. In truth, I tell you, there were many, many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a Gentile woman who was a widow, a person of no prominence or standing. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, just one generation later, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. 
And they rose up and they drove Jesus out of the town and brought him to the, this is this hometown, mind you, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. It's an incredible passage, isn't it? The first thing I want us to notice from it is that Jesus's mission, and you can see here, and you know if you know his, his life, and he was on a mission, his mission was freedom. Jesus stood that day before his countrymen who had been under a hundred years of Roman occupation. That's a long time. And he's speaking to men in his hometown and women in his hometown that were desperate for freedom. They were awaiting a breakthrough. They were longing to see the Messiah. And so Jesus' proclamation came as good news. And you see that they initially received it as such as he preached and as he read the scroll of Isaiah, which said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? to proclaim good news. That word good news is the word that we think of as gospel. Gospel means good news. And this was Jesus's mission to share the good news. So what was the good news? Well, Jesus's gospel, his good news, is a clear declaration of freedom. Did you catch that as he read Isaiah 61? It's a clear declaration of freedom. He continued, he said, as he read Isaiah 61, I've come to proclaim good news, the gospel to the poor. He, God, my father has sent me to proclaim freedom, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. You see, Jesus was bringing the message of freedom that humanity was created to hear, that humanity was created to know that humanity was created to receive. This is good news, and this is the gospel. And so in Nazareth on that day, many of the hearers that he was speaking to were oppressed by numerous things. All were certainly captive to Rome, but many were certainly enslaved to poverty and physical impairments. And Jesus is speaking this incredible truth to them. But if we look around and we live in a free land, but we must recognize we live in a world and we live even in a land that is filled with all sorts of bondage, even in our own day and time. Like billions of people live in bondage. But in a very real way, all of our lives have been impacted by bondage. Like lives under the evil strong arm rule of a dictator is one thing, but all of us know what it means to be captive to something, some besetting sin. Maybe it's the bondage of addiction or strongholds that we just can't seem to shake loose from. And we see it all around. We feel it in our own lives, that struggle. We see it ruining the lives of those that we love, that we wish we could just shake them out of it and say, wake up and see that your life is in bondage. This is not what you were created for. There is more. There is freedom. This is what Jesus came to proclaim that day to people who found themselves in bondage. In our day and time, many are relationally bound in codependency or toxic relationships. Many are physically bound with addictions or other physical ailments. Many we know are economically bound and just can't make ends meet and there's no light at the end of the tunnel and we all have at least an understanding of what it means to be captive. Are you captive to anything today? Is there anything that's oppressing you today? Because Jesus came and he made this proclamation. They've been standing for hundreds of years that freedom is available. Now, let's understand freedom just a moment. Freedom does not mean freedom from rules, boundaries, or restrictions. Do we recognize that? 
That's not freedom. That's chaos. That's anarchy. That's not what we as created beings were created for. Freedom is not the removal of restrictions. It's the removal of those wrong restrictions. Freedom is the removal of those incorrect boundaries and replacing them with the right boundaries that we were created to be governed and to live by. Like we think of examples of when people thought they were free, like Muddy Woodstock and maybe like Chaz in Seattle, right? Those are not examples of freedom, friends. Those are examples of people throwing off good boundaries and instead understanding what bondage looks like because they think that freedom exists in doing what we want, when we want, how we want, and that's not what freedom is. Anybody like the game of baseball? Like July 4th and baseball go together. Anybody love baseball like I do? My favorite sport. I love to watch it. I love the nuance of the game. And hopefully you'll be watching some baseball on July 4th. It's an American thing to do, right? If you watch the game, you'll notice that both teams are governed by rules that allow the game to happen. Like if there's not a strike zone, the game is chaos. If there's not like baselines and foul lines and foul poles and three strikes you're out and three outs and your inning's done, it's not the game anymore. And these incredible athletes that are so gifted to, to perform and free to perform inside those lines and boundaries, it's like, it's not even watchable because it's not a game any longer. Some of y'all have seen the movie Top Gun, right? The, probably the best sequel I've ever seen, right? The new Top Gun Maverick. All right, we all love Maverick's character, makes us proud to be an American when we watch it. And we see him, is, is Maverick free when he's in the air or when he's behind a desk? It's not rhetorical, he's free when he's in the air, right? I mean, he was created to fly an F-16 and now an F-18, not to, to instruct or to teach people from behind a desk. He's not meant to, to push paper. He doesn't feel free when he's pushing paper because that's not what he was created for. He's created to fly an airplane and he's free when he's doing so. All of us know what it means to, to live within a family. I look around and many of you have been blessed to, to live in a great family or to be raising even now a great family. And don't we know that there is incredible freedom when you have a, a mom and dad that live within the God-given boundaries established by the creator? It's not freedom whenever mom and dad just go do whatever they want, whenever they want, with whomever they want. That's not freedom. That leads to bondage for them and for the entire family, right? You see, this offer to freedom is an offer to live in accordance with the good boundaries. Our creator created us and designed us to live within so that we might understand that which we were created to be and that which we were created to do. And this is the declaration of freedom that Jesus makes there in that synagogue in Nazareth. And the beautiful thing next is that that declaration is for everyone. Does that stir anyone's heart this morning that that this declaration is not limited, it is for everyone. Jesus specifically called out and said, this message is for the poor, the broken, the captive, the blind, the oppressed, and even the marginalized foreign Gentile. It's for everyone. I mean, these people that Jesus mentioned represent real people feeling the effects of all that sin and selfishness brings into lives, all the destruction that sin brings. We know that sin brings real poverty. Like it brings real poverty through things like slothfulness, which is sinful, and things like greed from those in power. Those things bring real poverty, but we also know that sin brings spiritual poverty. Think about the, the rich child of the, of the, of the, that was, became the prodigal son, right? He had everything at his disposal, everything offered to him, but he wanted to go do his own thing, and he ended up spiritually poor and certainly physically poor. Broken hearts is a result of real sin, of selfishness and broken 
promises, but it's also spiritual brokenness as our hearts are separated from the one who loves us and loves our hearts. Captivity is a, a real thing. There are more people that exist in slavery right now than at any other time in human history. Over 40 million people whose real everyday existence is that of captivity. That comes from sin, friends. This is not God's design. Spiritual slavery exists when we know it, and we all have felt the, the weight of besetting sins that we can't seem to get rid of, that take a hold of our lives. Blindness is a result of a fall that impacted everything in creation, but it's also certainly a spiritual blindness that comes from not being able to see the spiritual realities of our condition and to see the grace that God is offering fully and freely. Like our eyes at one time were blinded to that, and many people that we love were so discouraged because they seem to be blind to a truth that we know is right in front of their face. Oppression is real. as power-thirsty regimes and cruel leaders I don't lead country, but maybe there's cruel leadership in your life over you even as you live your day-to-day life. Spiritual oppression, so many around us mastered by spiritual forces that are destroying them from the inside out. You see, sin enslaves. It enslaves physically, it enslaves spiritually, but Jesus, praise God, frees us for what we were created for. This is how Paul said it in Romans 6. Do you not know? that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves to sin and following those wrong boundaries have now become obedient from the heart to a standard of teaching the right boundaries to which you were committed and have now been set free from sin and now been set free for what you were created for, which is to be one who is governed by righteousness and whose life is moving towards righteousness because of the good boundaries that God has set and established. Jesus sets us free to live for that which we were created for, to become captive to righteousness. This is, friends, lasting real, true freedom, a freedom that is good for your heart. And it's good for the hearts of those who love you. It's good for your family. It's good for your nation. It's good for our world. When God's people understand that the real freedom comes under aligning our life with the one who created us and designed us for a purpose. And then in freedom, live out those incredible plans and purposes. Secondly, Jesus can provide freedom because he is the anointed one. All right, hopefully you caught that in Isaiah 61 as Jesus read that. Before Jesus ever came, hundreds of years, 700 plus years before Christ came, Isaiah wrote in the power of the Spirit that the Spirit is upon me. This is a clear messianic prophecy. The people of that day understood it as such. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus, we see, says this one that he's speaking of, it's being fulfilled in your hearing what Isaiah foretold. So Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus, because I am the anointed one and I've been anointed to proclaim good news. Jesus is anointed to bring the good news of salvation. Messiah, which literally means anointed one, is the name Christ in Greek, which means anointed one. So the name Christ is a title that means anointed one. And that title is very important. The title speaks to the ability of Christ to do what Isaiah is prophesying he would and could do. What the anointed one alone could bring, the anointing is upon the Messiah to do that. 
You see, anointing means that you're authorized and empowered. That's what anointing means. If you look at the Old Testament, when shepherd boy David is anointed king of Israel, he is being authorized and empowered to carry out what God has called him and set him apart to do. We see the anointing all throughout the Old Testament, and it's God's authorization and empowerment, right? There is one anointed one that was prophesied of that would come, and Jesus is saying, I'm that one. You see, as the anointed one, he has the authority to give you what no one else can because no one else has been authorized or empowered to give that to you. We look for freedom in all the wrong places from all the wrong people that can't really help us in our time of need. Don't you just love when something is broken and under warranty and you call up customer service and you wait online forever and then you get someone that can only help you with the most generic of issues, right? And half the time you explain this and they're like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And what's your response? Can you give me to someone who can? Can I talk to your supervisor, your manager? Give me to someone who's authorized and empowered to help me fix what is broken, right? We run to all the wrong people and there's only one who is authorized and empowered to fix what is broken, whom the son, the anointed one sets free. That one is free indeed. Why? Because he alone is authorized and empowered to set you free. You see, in history, there is a high regard that is held out for those who were emancipators, liberators, right? Names like Simon Bolivar and Gandhi and Abraham Lincoln and Harriet Tubman are really recognized and honored the world around. Why? Because there is something in the human heart that's moved by those who would say, you know what, I wanna come and speak up for and stand in place of and on behalf of those who are oppressed, But if we're honest, every single one of them, although they made very fervent efforts, every single one of them, their mission fell short of what they had hoped it would reach, right? Moses, from the biblical narrative, is revered as one of the most important figures in all of Scripture, the one who would in many ways foreshadow the greatest liberator. Yet we know as we read the record of the Old Testament that Moses and the nation he led fell short. You see, Jesus alone is the anointed one. He is the one who, like no other, was willing to pay the price and could pay the price that no one else could pay for your freedom. He is the one who gives freedom to everyone who comes to him. And we have so much to celebrate today and every day if we know the anointed one, the one who has come to provide freedom that our souls were created and designed to know. And lastly, Jesus gives freedom for all eternity. Jesus gives freedom for all eternity. But that starts now. That starts now. In the Messiah's proclamation, we need to see that his message is both practical and spiritual. Sometimes, you know, liberation theologists want to kind of just talk about the practical and and other people just want to see the spiritual. There is absolutely aspects of both the practical and the heavenly reality to Jesus's freedom, right? Jesus literally went to the poor, to the broken, to the captive, to the oppressed physically. And he brought them a message of freedom that he, and as he met their needs, that there is also a greater freedom that is nothing that this world can offer that the heavenly father was offering. So don't miss that his freedom impacts the here and now and certainly eternity, both. James would say it this way in James chapter two. 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that faith? You see, faith in the good news of Jesus frees us to also be liberators. There may be 900 liberators in this place right now. You see, we know the liberator and we have been tasked with his message to bring the good news to the world. And we need to understand that that means that we are to be the hands and feet of the Messiah. Because guess what? As Benjamin Watson reminded us earlier this week, unbelievers, your unbelieving neighbor is not reading the Bible today. But they are reading you. And they are wondering, just like maybe those hearers in the first century Nazareth synagogue were wondering, is there really something to this Jesus? And what an incredible time we live in to make Jesus's freedom a reality. You see, we have a chance right now to come alongside scared and hopeless moms with the reversal of Roe v. Wade, especially in our state. And I've been so encouraged by many Christians who are beginning to strategize and even have been in strategizing, hoping that this would be reversed for many years now and already beginning to establish frameworks of how we as the people of hope can meet them in their time of hopelessness to let them know that they are loved, they are cared for by God, and so is that child in their womb. What an incredible time to live. Our college students, I'm so thankful for them. We have a great group of college students and about 10 of them had a chance to come alongside the good news gospel work in Reynoso, Mexico this past week as they went to this very uh, desperate town just across the border in Mexico and to come alongside and work with people who are being in the hands and feet of Jesus and to share the message that we serve a freedom-giving Savior. And then they had a chance to witness as 19, 20-year-olds that the gospel really changes lives here and now, and certainly gives us a hope into eternity that no man can take, no matter the situation in which we live and the desperation thereof. I'm thankful that our students are going to have a chance, a, a small group of them, to go into the brokenness of homelessness to our neighbors on the South Shore later this summer. We look around, and man, as a church, we are distraught at what we see happening in the urban centers around our great nation. And don't we understand that what it is is as we've tried to throw off the good boundaries that God has established and to create a place where we can do whatever we want, whatever we want, with whomever we want, that we've actually brought chaos. It's the chaos that comes from the advance of sinfulness. And guess what? We have the combat for it, which is the truth of freedom. So church, I wanna remind us that now is the time. Now is the time. That the window is now open, but church, know this, it won't always be. Jesus, as we saw, is reading the messianic prophecy of Isaiah. And if you know Isaiah 61, then you know he cut it short. He didn't continue and read the rest of what Isaiah read for a very specific reason. You see, Isaiah wrote, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. We've heard this because the Lord has anointed me, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Verse two in Isaiah 61, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, comma. But Jesus stopped there. Isaiah continues to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. You see, Jesus came the first time as Messiah. He came to inaugurate the era of grace, opening the door of God's freedom to anyone who would come to him. But this door will not be open forever. 
Either when you take your last breath, the door is closed, whenever he returns again, which is the other thing that Isaiah saw in this prophecy, that Messiah would come once, but he would come again. And when he comes again as Messiah the second time, it will be a day of vengeance when Jesus comes again. It will be everlastingly too late for his grace. So the call today is if you are apart from Christ, living in slavery to sin and self, then don't reject the message of freedom that is available through the one who came, had the power, was authorized, and gave his very own life for your freedom. Don't reject it. Turn to him today. And for those of us that do know this freedom, don't neglect it. You see, we have a very unique opportunity right now to shine the light of freedom. That's your last fill in the blank. We have a unique opportunity to shine the light of freedom. And guess what, church? As we shine the light of truth, people won't like it. Do you see how they treated Jesus as he shared the message of good news available to all? They wanted to kill him. But Jesus' mission was freedom. It was worth dying for, and nothing would hinder and cover up the light of the world who would come to share this message of hope. In 1865, the French proposed a statue representing liberty be built for the United States as a gift. You've heard of that, right? They began designing the statue that they called Liberty Enlightening the World. A site in New York's harbor was picked out, seen as the gateway to America. It was selected as the location for the gift, and the statue was presented to the U.S. on July 4th, 1884. And in 1886, after it had been disassembled and shipped back here, it was officially unveiled with a million Americans showing up on a nasty, rainy day to celebrate the Statue of Liberty. Lady Liberty, I've seen her twice, once on Ellis Island and one the cheap way to see it on the Staten Island Ferry, but... She's an amazing sight, right? The first time I was there, I was on Ellis Island, and I, I read what is written on her pedestal, which reads, and if we know Christ, this should stir our heart. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And Lady Liberty opens her arms wide to receive immigrants, and at her base, there's a chain that's been broken. She stands to represent what the nation was to be founded upon. But church, as we close, we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of the liberator. We, more than any other hope of the world, are truly Lady Liberty. The church is Lady Liberty, right? We should hold out this offer to a greater freedom. We have a savior whose arms were stretched open wide and he made a declaration greater than what any nation can offer as he made this declaration there in that Nazareth synagogue as he continues to make that declaration through us, his people. He gave himself as the gift, a gift to not a nation, but to the world. Arms open wide on the cross for all that all who look upon him can have freedom. Church, this is our hope. This is why we sing. This is why we can endure in difficult days. And this is our invitation to share. It's a document signed by God, not by 56 fallible men. It's signed by God. It's a covenant of life. It's a covenant of liberty. It's a covenant of eternal happiness. And it is the greatest document that has ever been signed because it's been signed in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is open today. It's a freedom more valuable than anything that the world can offer. It's a freedom of incomparable worth. And it is open to you today. Turn to him in a world where relief is in short supply and bondage is everywhere. And church, remember, we have freedom. We've been given it as a gift and it is too valuable not to share. We're gonna have a time of invitation and if you are living in bondage today, as you hear the words of Christ, maybe the spiritual blindness is beginning to 
to be relieved. You're beginning to see that Christ is the only hope. He is the only one, the anointed one who has come to offer you freedom. Today, why don't you come in humility and repentance and declare that Jesus is who he says he was and commit your life to follow him, to establish the good boundaries and to replace those with the boundaries that are leading you and even right now have you in bondage to give your life to him unto salvation. And for those of us that know him, may we hear the call of Christ to be a part of the liberation movement, the freedom that only Jesus himself can offer and extends through us. I'm gonna pray and ask you to stand as I do. And right now, I know there's probably a barbecue awaiting you or whatever, but I promise you what this freedom that Jesus mentioned is the greatest thing we could celebrate. And as we pray, I just ask you to pray along with me, to pray for maybe those here in the congregation who don't know the freedom of Christ, to pray right now, do the business of prayer, like put aside those foolish thoughts of things that are coming. Think about the here and now, what God wants to do to set people free. And then if God is calling you in any way, Come, come to Christ. Father God, I pray in this moment right now that Lord, your spirit would work on hearts and lives. God, of those who don't know you, calling them into repentance and salvation and freedom. And for those of us that do know you, you would work in our hearts, God, to remind us of the incredible task that not only you did, but that you left us to do and to be reminded that we live in freedom because we don't do this alone. We do this in the power of the anointed one. We have the anointing because we carry your spirit with us and God, allow your, your church to go forward in power, to move even in the midst of a growing darkness, to be the light of the world, the hope of freedom. And may we make that declaration with boldness and humility and love. And God, I pray that right now you would move in your invitation, call the one to you that doesn't know you and call all of us to go to our knees or be reminded of why we've been given this freedom in the first place. We love you. This is your invitation. Move as you see fit. In Christ's name, amen.